You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode four, Owning Your Faith is Better Than Having Faith. One of the many reasons why students leave their faith after high school is undoubtedly because they are unfamiliar with the ins and outs of their faith and specifically how it impacts their daily practical lives. We can teach them right answers. We can teach them that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, all good things. But if students do not wrestle with their faith, experience doubt, uh, learn to be okay with the answer, I don't know, and learn to appreciate the details of their Christian faith and how it impacts them in their daily lives. Uh, their faith can easily be shattered by someone who debates better than they can, who can give them more information about the background of their faith. And we want students to be able to be in a place of constant growth, transformation, and dependence on God for why they believe what they believe. So to help me uh, begin to talk about that as far as youth ministry goes is today's guest, Ryan Harding. Ryan is my brother. He is back in the motherland of Phoenix, Arizona. He is a volunteer in a local church youth ministry and I'm excited to have him on. So, let's welcome Ryan. Ryan, welcome to the podcast today. Glad you could join me, bro. Hey, bro. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) All right. Yes. So glad you're here. Um, So, Ryan, uh, give us a quick overview of who you are for people who might not know you and what you're up to these days. Sure. Um, well, as you know, my name, it's, I'm Ryan. Uh, we're brothers, as you mentioned, um, and I don't mind saying that publicly, at least most of the time. <laughs> yeah. um, I live here in Phoenix, uh, where we grew up. Uh, my wife, Tiffany, and I, we uh, live here. We have three kids, and we've been married coming up on 12 years. Uh, our kids are about six and a half, four, and a year and a half, so... Uh, they keep us pretty busy for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also work for the State Department of Transportation as a public information officer. So I get to write news releases and interact with the media. And I've been doing that for over 12 years now. And uh, we attend Palmcroft Church here in town. And uh, Tiffany and I are volunteers or sponsors, as we're called, in the high school ministry here. And so we've been doing that for about three years or so. Uh, My brother-in-law, Jace, is actually the high school pastor. So it's been fun working with him, ministering to high school students. Very cool. Very cool. Love it. Um, Well, listeners, Ryan is going to be a regular guest on the podcast for several reasons. Uh, First, it's always a blast to have your brother on your own podcast. Uh, Secondly, it's exciting to me Uh, to see how our paths have crossed regarding youth ministry and helping students own their faith. 
Um, and finally, as a youth volunteer, many of you listening can relate to his perspective of having a day job and a family life while figuring out methods and approaches to have for investing in students. Uh, so far on the podcast, we have talked about students graduating and walking away from their faith and the fear of a new world that contains views and things they hadn't considered about who they are, why we're all here, and the purpose of life. Uh, I don't think it's the only factor, but uh, um, apologetics and learning how to discuss and defend your faith is certainly a big part of why graduates tend to see their faith and church involvement fade. Ryan, can you share how you got more involved in apologetics and how it's impacted your ministry with students? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I got turned on to apologetics about six years ago, right about when my oldest son, my firstborn, was was born. Uh, I went through what I would call not a midlife crisis because I'm not that old, uh, but more like like a new dad life crisis. Uh, it became very important to me at that time in my life to to do something meaningful with my life, get involved in something that might have a a godly positive impact on my my children uh, so I began actually I began a season of prayer in my life and so I every night for about three or four months uh, I prayed nightly probably the scariest prayer I've ever prayed and that is I just gave God freedom to do lead me wherever you know that's what I would tell him open doors close doors whatever you want just lead me wherever you want me to go and as I reflected back on that I thought that's pretty bold because <laughs> he could Absolutely do anything. Is. That is Isaiah <laughs> 6, 8 to the full. Absolutely. So, I, yeah, so that's what I did. Um, and I, uh, um, so it was during this time that God brought something uh, back to my mind in the midst of this three, four month-ish period. Uh, my son was born in September. So, uh a conversation I had had with a friend of mine 12 years earlier to that point. So this was back during my early college years. And I went to a community college for a couple of years before transferring to ASU. Um, and it was at uh, this community college uh, that I, my friend and I were having a discussion and it turned to God. Now, I don't remember really much anything else about the conversation except for this. Uh, my friend said something to the effect of that he, you know, he didn't believe that there was some all-powerful being who lived in the sky was watching over us. And my response to that, as I can recall, was basically silence. It was nothing much. I, I had no idea how to respond to that. Uh, I didn't know what to say. I was afraid of what he might think of me if I did respond. Uh, it, it was a complete, you know, failure, colossal failure on my part. I mean, you know, here I was. I was about 19, 20 years old. I'd gotten saved at the age of six, grown up in church, and now here's this in front of me, and I have no idea what to say. So it was a big failure on my part. So I kept praying. That happened in the midst of this. Uh, and later, about Christmas time, towards the end of the year, uh, a lot of columnists and bloggers, as you know, will put, put out a lot of book lists. Like, here, here's my top ten books for the year that you should read or I think are great. Mm-hmm. And one of the columnists I read had a book in his list called Tactics by Greg Kokel. And as clear as day, when I read that title, it was like God speaking to me. You know, it wasn't audible, but it was like for sure, without a doubt, like God said, I want you to read that book. 
and um, I bought the book on Kindle and started reading it that night. And it was the really neat thing about it was this book was the answer uh, to the earlier problem that God had brought back to mind, this memory of where I had failed to respond to my friend who didn't believe. This book was all about how to have meaningful conversations with people who don't believe like you do, how to maneuver tactically uh, in a conversation like this. And so it was like the response that I needed to hear to that earlier problem. And so I devoured that book within just a few days. And that book changed the direction of my life. And it began, it was the beginning of an answer to what I had been praying for nightly for the last few months. Um, it gave practical advice I had never considered before. It was just a total game changer, that book was. Um, so afterwards, of course, I wondered, who's this author? Who's Greg Kokel? Who is this guy? So I Googled him, of course, and I found the apologetics organization that he's, a pres- he's the president of, which is called Stand to Reason. And you can find them online. Uh, and I so began to read articles on that website, articles that talked about the evidence for the existence of God, articles that talked about the good reasons we have to believe what we as Christians believe, uh, articles about the Bible, articles about the compatibility of Christian faith and science, on and on. And I just couldn't stop reading. I just devoured this. I also started buying other books on apologetics by different authors and read those. And I still do that to this day. So as I learned this stuff, um, you know, I was you know, 31, 32 years old at the time. And I wondered why I'd never really heard this kind of stuff before. You know, we were raised in a Christian home, you and I were. I got saved at the age of six. And here I was uh, reading this stuff in my early 30s for the first time. Um, I mean, I did, now I did realize as time went on that I'd heard bits and pieces of apologetic material before in college and as a young adult here and there, but never like this, never in this much volume and on so many different broad topics. So a few years later, when Jace was hired as the pastor, high school pastor at Palmcroft, I volunteered for that ministry mainly because of apologetics. I wanted to bring apologetics uh, the way that I had learned it to these high school students. Uh, I didn't want them to wait until they were in their 30s to discover this kind of thing. I wanted them to know it now when, you know, they're like half that age. (laughs) So... You know, I've had the opportunity on a couple of occasions now to address the high school group as a large group, Um, and both of those talks centered around the idea of apologetics, one very explicitly so. Um, On an individual basis with the students, I've been focusing more on relationships with them, and we can get into more of this in a little bit, but um, that's actually a, a very first important step to bringing apologetics to them is the relationships. Um, But that's how I got into apologetics. Um, And I'll tell you, the biggest thing that apologetics has done for me is it has strengthened my own walk with the Lord. Uh, My walk with Christ received a huge shot in the arm after that time when I started getting into this stuff. Um, Like it hadn't for quite a while prior to that point. And that's because I realized that all of these things that Christianity teaches, you know, that God exists, that he's personal, that he created everything, you know, that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he died and rose again, that the Bible is trustworthy and reliable, all these kinds of things. We have very good, solid reasons to believe that all of these things are true. Uh, I, I I added, I knew what I knew, you know, like I've always known those things. 
I've always believed those things to be true growing up, of course, but now I had knowledge added to that. So, cause a lot of people, you can know things and not really know how you know them or why you know them. Um, you know, I believe, for example, I have a true belief that the or- planets orbit around the sun, but I don't, don't ask me, I'm not an astronomer. I don't know orbital mechanics, right? So I don't know how they orbit around the sun, but I hold a true belief that they do. And I think a lot of Christians hold true beliefs about who God is, who Jesus is and all that, but they don't know how they know that. They don't know that they know that, you know what I'm saying? There's not knowledge behind those true beliefs. And that's what apologetics does. It gave me that. And so my faith was further cemented. Um, And so that's what I want to bring. I want to bring that same sense of closeness and faith in God through knowledge of him and his word to these high school students, because that's something we all need. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Love it. Um, I totally agree with you. It's um, um, getting into college and having slightly different conversations in college. um, um, Like you mentioned with a friend of yours and um, whether it was at school, at work, or even at church, the conversations started to turn. And um, certainly when I started at seminary, I, I kind of had a, a shock factor of how come I haven't heard any of this <laughs> growing up. And that seems yeah. to be um, a recurring theme that I'm hearing more and more from people our age uh, who you know, uh, with all the best intentions in the world and the best atmospheres at home and everything else, they're raised in the church. They have a true faith, but there's so much of the Christian faith and their own walk and scripture and theology and things that they just don't know about. Um, and it's a little disheartening because, uh, you know, as you get older and uh, you meet people who have different views than you, and they argue better th- th- than you do, or they ask you a question that stumps you, and you think the phrase, I don't know, means surrender and weakness, when really mm-hmm. it's an affirmation of authenticity. Um, it's, it's a, it becomes a, a black and white situation of I either know the answer or I give into fear and I, and I don't know and I'm not going to say anything or worse, I'm going to get angry and yell from the cliffs all this information mm-hmm. that, that is true and my beliefs and I don't need to, to, to back it up because it's, it, it's right. And if you're not for me, then you're against me and then you have polarization, right? So, uh, it's, it's, um, it's kind of a snowball where people think, oh, you know, you just didn't learn enough as a kid and now you can learn it. But in today's culture, um, and today's, uh, temperature, if you will, of the relations between Christians and non-Christians, the world in general, social issues, politics, of course, all those things, um, you better know what you're going to say before you say it, and when you say something, no matter what it is, no matter how correct it is, no matter what the perspective is, you're going to have people who come hard against you, and they're going to be upset, and they're going to be typing in full caps, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting world, and I, for one, at least time-wise, 
am really glad that we got to grow up largely without the influence of technology and social media and all that. Um, but yeah, I, I love that. And certainly, um, knowing more about, about your faith and the philosophy and the perspective behind your faith is very important. And I'm glad to hear that that's a foundational part of your ministry with the students. Um, so uh, I think it's safe to assume that up to and possibly during youth ministry, students would say they have a better understanding of the Bible, the stories, the characters, the ministry of Jesus, etc., um, and probably less of an understanding about theology, um, who God is, uh, what it means practically for them, maybe, but certainly just the maybe more egghead per perspective people might say, um, mm. nerdy perspective. Um, so I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing for them to have more of an understanding of the Bible, especially as they enter adolescence. Uh, the, the power of stories are in their relatability, their imagery, um, and how they can produce a, a, a myriad of practical application to our own stories. And it also makes a lot of sense developmentally to begin with an emphasis on those elements of Scripture uh, moving from the concrete to the abstract as the kids grow. Um, however, because of scripture and worship songs especially, I think students know more th- ab- about theology than they realize. Um, so Ryan, where do you find it makes the most sense to start with um, apologetics, especially with teenagers? Uh, you know, there's a lot of different uh, places you can start. You can start with theology proper, who God is, Christology about Jesus, how we're saved, soteriology, all kinds of things. So where do you find is a good starting point um, with the students that, that you're working with? Yeah, uh, I'm going to go back to something I mentioned earlier, and this may sound counterintuitive or a little like, really? Because it's apologetics, which like, as you said, it's kind of more of a intellectual thing, but I'm going to go back and say relationships are the important first step in apologetics. Yeah. Now that may seem out of place, but this is a concept I got from a really good book uh, written by Sean McDowell, who's the son of Josh McDowell, if people know him, and J. Warner Wallace, who's a, a homicide detective, but both of them are apologists. And they wrote a book called So the Next Generation Will Know. Uh, and it's a great book with practical advice uh, for passing the truth of Christianity on to the next generation. And I, I, I read the book. It was great. I would encourage your listeners to get a copy themselves. Uh, but then the book, they emphasize the value of relationships with the students. You know, of course, students want to know that you care about them yeah, before they're absolutely. willing to hear you out. Yeah. And, and Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say that... Um, Someone told me something recently, and I've seen someone else post it, especially now during the quarantine and, and stay at home with COVID-19, is um, I think it's a universal perspective with ministry is, for the most part, students aren't go- go- going to remember your sermons and small group questions and things like that, but especially during times like these, they're going to remember that you cared for them that you reached out to them and that you were there for them. Right. And when that base right. is established, like, like you were saying, um, 
that means that they then have more to grab onto and remember and feel comfortable with and have good good discussions about because the relationship and the trust it's there it's established yes absolutely and i mean i and i found this out myself since i've been working with high schoolers uh you know after i kind of got settled into the youth group and began getting to know the students in our youth group, I was all excited, you know, to bring them apologetics. I was on fire for that, right? I wanted to start offering tips and insights at every opportunity. Uh, but I came to realize that, you know, I started thinking about it. I was like, you know, why would they listen to me? Uh, they barely knew me. And in many respects, I mean, I got to know them some, but I really didn't know them all that well. And so why would they just start hanging on my every word, you know? And so they had no reason. They needed to see that I was there for them. So, I mean, now, of course, I knew my own heart motivations, and it was great, but they didn't. And so I realized that I was coming into this just a little bit hot, and I needed to kind of back off for now, for the time being, and just start building those relationships. And, you know, like they say in the book, said we need to establish trust before we can establish truth. Uh, and that's kind of how they work. And um, so, you know, I mean, they really go into that in the book. And, you know, this generation... Uh, I think we kind of alluded to it earlier. They have so much information coming at them at such an early age. You know, we are in the information golden age. And they don't know who to trust or what to believe when there's like 50 different hot takes on everything from politics to world events to religion. You know, and, and honestly, if I'm honest, I've struggled with that myself. You know, during this COVID thing, like there's a lot of different hot takes on it. And I'm kind of like, well, what do I believe? Who's right? Who's wrong? What's what's going on here, right? So it's even a struggle for adults to um, figure this out. So it's so important to build trust with these teens uh, through relationship first. Once that's established, you know, of course, then we can start sharing the truth with them and helping them own their faith. And so that's kind of the first step. Uh, the next step, I would say, um, would be to kind of start every sermon or every Bible study time or every home group, whatever you guys do with your uh, students, uh, with worldview level thinking. Um, now, this is harder because it requires a shift in your thinking as a youth leader. you got to shift your own thinking so now you can start engaging in worldview type teaching. And of course, by that, I mean approaching Christianity as a worldview, because it is. Uh, it says it has something to say about every single part of the human experience. Um, you know, uh, we had a, there's a Dutch philosopher out there named Abraham Kuyper, who once said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence, which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. And so engaging in a worldview teaching on the various Christian concepts is important to help students start thinking more broadly about Christianly about everything. Uh, because there's like a Christian approach to health, for example. You know, the Bible teaches that we are both body and soul. And so there's a key to healthy living in the Christian way, you know, caring for the body through proper eating, sleeping, exercising, caring for the soul through solitude, confession and prayer, things like that, right? Uh, there's a biblical approach to government, right? Our founders set up our country with three separate branches of government. They decentralized everything because they knew that power corrupts 
And, you know, because of our human fallen condition, power will corrupt and we tend to, to uh, get really power hungry. So we divide it up. Let's spread out the power among all these different groups and invite checks and balances to minimize those effects. And I think that's one reason why our government system has been worked so well is because it works in conjunction with Christian principles that we are fallen creatures. And so, you know, my point is there's a biblical way to think about everything. So, you know, starting with relationships and teaching Christianity from a worldview perspective kind of starts to help students see, you know, one, that we care and, and see how their faith actually does impact them outside of the church walls. It's not just something we do at church and then go on the rest of our week. This, this impacts every area of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like that approach. It reminds me of a series that I did um, with our students a few years ago, where uh, we had just we had just started introducing um, a catechism structure at our church, uh, going from birth through adults. Um, it started with certain points of theology, and now we've now now we're building on it to say like, what are the seven most important questions or or points that believers should should know? And when we went through um, those points of theology, those seven points of theology, and established them, we took them right from our doctrinal statement, and our doctrinal statement at our church is the Nicene Creed. Um, and so we took those, and we spent a summer going through each of those points, and I did it uh, in, in youth, and I was explaining it, and then tried to link it to practical things like reading scripture, since we believe it's the most sufficient, inerrant um, authority text is the Word of God, and um, when Jesus comes back, and, and all these things, and I felt like I was throwing uh, outside high balls to a batter, and everything was going over their head, and they just <laughs> looked a little dumbfounded, and well, I guess it's, yeah, it's good to read Scripture because it's God's Word. You know, like, there wasn't really much practical application to it, and I felt like a lot of the meat of that theological content was missing the mark. And so what I decided to do that fall, we had another uh, church-wide series uh, involving technology that we did for six weeks along with the adult Bible studies. And during that six-week study, I had a big bucket and some note cards in the back of the youth room. And I said, I want you guys during the next six weeks to write down every question you have or you can think of about God the Bible, spiritual life, the world, social events, how it pertains to your faith, doubts you have, all these things. Uh, and we got a little over 30 questions. And my pastor helped me categorize them under our new uh, theology section of our catechism. And we went from uh, uh, the middle of October through the end of May, doing that one series, and we took one question at a time per week. And if we didn't get very far into it, into the discussion of it, we kept going with it the following Sunday. And uh, it was a lot of work each week. I had to do a lot of um, backtracking and uh, looking at the mainline Protestant views on this and what other Protestant views were on this and what the church um, historically has wrestled with. Uh, we looked at um, 
child baptism. We had a question that uh, one of the students said, why is it wrong to commit murder, but war is fine? And what I did for that one is I divided the guys and girls into different rooms. I gave them a sealed envelope and said, you have 45 minutes using scripture to defend the position that's in this envelope. And I gave the girls the position to defend um, righteous killing and all that kind of stuff. And I gave the guys the position as image bearers, we should never seek to kill other image bearers. And, and I brought them together and we had a little 10 minute debate. Um, and it was pretty interesting. And it did, at least in the short term, what I wanted it to um, accomplish. And that was, um, I said, how many of you held the positions that you had to defend this morning? And only a few kids uh, raise their hands. And I said, how many of you learned something about the other position that you didn't know or would never have, have thought of? And almost everyone raised their hands. Um, yeah. And so uh, it's good because we left a lot of those Sunday mornings, even if we thought that we got far enough into the question, most of the Sundays ended with, here's the main position that evangelicals hold. Here are these other positions. Go ask better questions. Go research more and own your faith. That was basically the application. And, um, and now, uh, you know, I'm going on 16 years of youth ministry. And to this point, I've never had more feedback from students, parents, or parents and students talking than that series. Um, and yeah, I think it starts I off. Some yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and, and it starts off right where you said, because, you know, I mentioned certain points of theology and Christian thought and, and everything, but I think your approach is absolutely the best approach. It's, um, look, we can throw um, points of apologetics and knowledge and all this at you, but if it's not hitting you where you live and it's not uh, scratching your itch, so to say, it's not really addressing questions or doubts that you personally have about God or about your faith, then it's not really going to stick with you. Uh, it's going to be, hey, that's nice, and you might remember s- some of it down the road if you have enough refreshers about it. But overall, it needs to be relevant to where your faith is at. And so when you start out with um, a broad brushstrokes and a large worldview, like you just said, um, I think that's a very, very appropriate way to start talking to students about why it's important for them to own their faith um, and like Paul said, to work out your salvation with fear and, and trembling, you know? Um, Absolutely. And uh, yeah, and so that's actually where I would like to wrap up. Um, another big factor that I think contributes to the fading of faith after high school is um, sort of what I alluded to earlier with the power of story and also what I just uh, said about your point. How does this relate to my life? How and why does it matter aside from having knowledge? Why is this the most important part of who I am? Uh, So, Ryan, uh, what are some ways that you have uh, seen students and helped students make apologetics uh, relevant and real to their life? 
Yeah, uh, and I really love what you just said. That was a, a really good way. Allow students to ask their own questions, you know, and have a bag in the back of the room or whatever. They can submit them anonymously if they feel more comfortable that way. I think that's great. Um, it can be challenging uh, to, um, you know, use an approach to help make students' uh, faith real to them. Uh, I mean, some students can certainly engage with that. I've heard other concerns of, you know, over the years about leaders trying to talk to students about these kinds of things and they get blank stares or shoulder shrugs in return, like, uh, you know, they don't care, right? Um, and, and, and so some people, particularly teens, just have a reputation for they don't seem to care about this stuff. And, and, yeah. and I, say the words, I say the words seem to care because I believe students actually do care, Um you know, as I've worked with them, I've learned a lot about, you know, generalizations about teenagers really don't apply to a lot of kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but apologetics can be heady stuff. And so I, I get it. Um, but, you know, they do care. Everyone cares about something. Everyone has passions. Gen Z is no different. Uh, so the goal is, though, to figure out what they do care about and then use that as a way in. Um, you know, one time I heard, you know, but some, uh, guy was talking to somebody and, uh, about moral objectivism and, you know, he's a moral objectivist, of course, and, and his, uh, friend or whoever he's talking with was kind of a social contract guy, meaning morality comes from a group of people all get together and they all agree that these are the things that are wrong and these are the things that are right. And we kind of do this by social contract and that's where morality comes from. And so he wasn't interested in talking to him about that as two stuff. So he's like, okay, fine. And so uh, his friend was like an environmentalist. So he told him the story about how he's like, yeah, we go, I go up to North to this cabin with a bunch of guys and we have a really good guy time and we eat grill out every night and we eat and stuff. And it's really cool. But the really fun thing is at the end of the week, uh, we all go into town. We go to the hardware store. We buy a big barrel of sulfuric acid. And then we row out on a lake and out in the lake, we dump the sulfuric acid in the lake. But before we do that, we take bets to see among all the guys, see how many fish we're going to kill after we dump the acid in the lake. <laughs> and... Um, they wow. don't really do this, that, but that makes yeah. uh, fishing with dynamite look like kids play right there. That's <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so his, his friend was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't do that. That, that, that's not right. That's wrong. Um, and so then he used that as an end going, well, wait a second. Who are you to say that it's wrong? I said, you know, my social contract with my buddies and I, we all agree that this is fine and this is a okay thing to do. So now who are you to come in here and say, well, this is wrong? And it made him stop and go, oh. And so he used that as an end to kind of point out the flaw in his thinking and got him uh, talking about an apologetic type topic, but through an avenue that he cared about. And so going back to the students, it's like, you know, they all care about something. So find what they care about and, and then use that as an avenue, uh, help them see the need. You know, if they don't see the need, they're not, they're going to be like, why should I waste my time with this? Um, some more out-of-the-box ways to kind of do this. There's some apologetics ministries out there that do events where an apologist will come to a youth group posing as an atheist, and they'll be introduced as such. So usually, like, only, like, the youth pastor or whoever is in on it. Nobody else is. And they come out there, and they, they pose as an atheist, and they introduce themselves as such, and, and it really can kind of put the students... Um, 
uh, for a loop, kind of back on their heels a little bit because they think they're dealing with a real atheist. And and these apologists are, do a really good job. I've seen them. They, they don't go in there and misrepresent atheism at all. They go in there. They're nice. They're cordial. They're smiling. They're gracious. They're winsome. And then they put atheism's best arguments forward and go through the whole thing with the students. And then they invite a Q&A session afterwards where the students can ask them whatever and they'll respond from an atheist standpoint. And it, it, it's, it's interesting because some of the kids they, I've, I've seen, like, you know, they've never had any interaction with that at all. And so they're just like, whoa, what in the world? And then they hear this stuff, these arguments, which actually sound really good. If you've never heard them before, you're kind of, it'll make you stop in your tracks and go, oh my gosh. And it makes them stop and realize, well, maybe I don't know what I think I know about Christianity. And then, of course, at the end, he, you know, he takes the glasses off or whatever, and he says, "Hi, oh, actually, I'm I'm a Christian like you," you know. And they go, "Oh, okay." And then they debrief on what they just talked about and say, "Let's let's go over what we just talked about here." And it kind of can help the students, you know, see the need. I would love to do this with my own youth group, but. I, I couldn't do it because they all know me, so I don't know that it would be as effective. They know it would be me, but uh, getting someone in there they think is real is is uh, interesting. Um, but kind of like a week-to-week kind of approach uh, to help students ma- make it real is um, sharing not only the what's about Christianity, but the why's and the how's. Uh, so, like, for example, you know, the what's are... The biblical accounts, the various stories in the Old Testament, uh, the Bible characters, the ministry of Jesus, you know, who God is, uh, what Paul said, who he was, you know, those are kind of the what's, right? Let's talk about the what's, but um, maybe getting more into the why's and the how's, right? Um, Yeah, we say God's loving and he loves us and he, you know, whatever, but how do we even know he's real, you know? Why is the Bible trustworthy? You know, why should I believe the Bible over the numerous other religious texts that are out there, like the Quran or the Book of Mormon or anything else? You know, why should I believe the Bible over that? Uh, why did Jesus have to die for my sins? How is, is it really a sacrifice if, you know, you died on the cross, but then you just came right back to life three days later? I mean, is that really a sacrifice? How do we know? How do we even know the resurrection took place? You know, these, are, I could go on and on, but I mean, these are the kinds of questions that students are either thinking about or are going to face at some point. And so getting into like that book uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, it says, give two whys for every what. So if you're talking about creation, that's the what. Give two whys. Why do we know that creation is true? And why does this matter to us? Why, why is it important? Why do we know, why are we so about teaching creation rather than evolution or something else? You know, and, and once we start sharing those things, building those things, and that'll start to help the students connect, again, as I alluded to earlier, that worldview level thinking. Um, you know, because the worldview, you know, the why about creation, um, we were made in God's image. Okay, we're made in God's image. That's worldview level. Then that and then informs my values. You know, what are my values? And if we're made in God's image, well, we all are. Uh, we'll have value. We're we're, uh, you know, we're made in the image of a God. So humans have values. So now, how does that then affect my day to day behavior? Well, I treat every person I come across with dignity and respect. Why? Because 
they're valuable. Why are they valuable? Because they're made in the image of God. And so that's how a worldview gets down to the um, day-to-day life. You know, how do I, so explaining that to them and helping them to see the importance of that is key. And for students, I mean, they get their worldview from relationships. So again, it goes back to building that relationship with them and, you know, building that trust with them because that's where they get their worldview from. If they really love you and trust you, they're going to want to adopt your view of the world. They'll be more convinced by it. So that's where they get all that from. So it's kind of like this pyramid, if you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, absolutely. Uh, you know, students really look for people who care for them and they respect them. And uh, multiple studies show that it's um, beneficial for students to have multiple authority figures and people who invest in their lives. Um, there's a famous study that Chap Clark did as a high school teacher in the 90s at a high school in. LA to do studies before writing a book and uh, identified that you need at least five people um, who who care about you and invest in you. And the more people that you have like that in your life, the more um, you're able to grow in your faith, grow as a human being in maturity, uh, social cues and all those things and really be grounded in who you are and who God made you to be. Um, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, why do we know this is true? And certainly very much the same importance. Why does it matter? Right. Why does it matter for you, your faith? Why does it matter for us as people, um, as the church? And what does it mean, uh, for the future? Um, I love it. Thank you. Um, and, uh, man, I really look forward, um, to you uh, coming back in future episodes as we discuss more about apologetics and investing in this unique generation. Um, But uh, Ryan, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. And next time, maybe we can uh, talk about how if we sold mom's chocolate chip cookies, they would make us rich. Um, (laughs) Well, mom's Christmas cookies for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that's objectively true. Cookies, cookies, cookies. Mm. So good. Um, Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed being on. Absolutely, man. We'll see you next time. That concludes today's episode of Youth Ministry Maverick. Thanks again to my brother Ryan for joining me. If you have any questions on things you hear on the podcast or some input on what you would like to hear, please reach out and let me know. I always like to hear from my audience and make new connections. I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Uh, We have social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I do encourage you to share this podcast with anyone who works with students and who might benefit from the content. Until next time, adios.